The following sermon audio has been brought to you by Christ Church Downtown. For more information, go to Christkirk.com. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's rise and worship the triune God. Bless the Lord who forgives our sins. His mercy endures forever. From Psalm chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. I will tell of all your marvelous works. I will be glad and rejoice in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. Lift up your hearts. We lift them up unto the Lord. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, our hearts rejoice, and we are glad because of your marvelous works. You turn darkness into light by calling out the sun. You make a drab world sparkle with snow crystals. You burst forth new life from long waiting. You have done this for your world, and you have done so for your people, giving your marvelous light and purity and new life. All of this is of your grace, and this makes our heart sing. And so we now come and praise you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And amen. Wisdom is obvious. You may think of wisdom as elusive, a mystery, an enigma, and in one sense, it is all these. But often, wisdom speaks at the level of, don't be a chucklehead, do the right thing. For Christians, wisdom is often doing the obviously right thing and not doing the obviously sinful thing. Wisdom is described in Proverbs 8 as loud and clear and set up on the corner of Main Street and obvious, complete with a megaphone calling, you out, calling out to the passerbys. This is what wisdom is described in Proverbs 8. Does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out at the passers by at the gates, at the entrance of the city, at the entrance of the doors. Wisdom is about as subtle as MZ's 100-foot Merry Christmas sign on the grain silos, which is to say, not so subtle, right? You can't miss it. So what does wisdom say? Wisdom says, listen, for I will speak of excellent things. From the opening of my mouth will come right things. From my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. They are all plain to him who understands. So if you know something is plainly excellent, right, true, then do it. If you know something is plainly crooked, perverse, wicked, then don't do it. Obvious, right? So should you watch that particular movie? You've seen the previews, and it cuts from a cocky, foul-mouthed, violent guy to the alluring, sexy, but fiercely independent woman, and you know what's going to happen. A lot of language, violence, some good explosions, and then eventually a skin scene. And wisdom cries out, dude, don't be an idiot. Don't watch that. And if you're really not sure, should I watch this movie? Should I touch my girlfriend this much? Should I share this juicy story? Should I wear this dress? Should I steal that toy? If you really don't know, then ask your mom. <laughs> no, really, ask your lady wisdom, and I'm sure she'll have a thing or two to say. Wisdom is often so obvious. More often than not, you know what you need to do. But if wisdom is so obvious, then why isn't your obedience just as obvious? Psalm 17, hear a just cause, O Lord, attend to my cry. Give ear to my prayer, which is, from, which is not from deceitful lips. Let my vindication come from your presence. Let your eyes look on the things that are upright. Our Father, you have not left us in doubt between right and wrong, good and evil. You have given us wisdom in your word. You have poured out your spirit that directs our consciences. You have surrounded us 
with godly parents, teachers, pastors, friends. Wisdom is so often right before our eyes, and yet we are so often fools when we do not listen to wisdom and harden our hearts. We ignore the counsel, suppress the guilt, presume upon your grace. We confess this foolish disobedience as sin. And please hear our prayers as we confess our own individual sins to you now and Selah. We ask all of this in the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus. And amen. amen. Please rise for the assurance of God's pardon. Psalm 11 says, For the Lord is righteous. He loves righteousness. His countenance beholds the upright. Christian, if you have confessed your sins, looking to Jesus Christ, to his righteousness and not to your righteousness, to his obedience and not to your own obedience. And through the good news of the gospel, I declare to you that your sins are forgiven through Christ. Thanks be to God. The sermon text this morning is 1 Corinthians 13, the whole chapter. These are the words of God. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Love is patient and is kind. Love does not envy, does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. But whether there are prophecies, they will fail. Whether there are tongues, they will cease. Whether there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect has come, then that which is in part will be done away. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I also am known. And now abide faith, hope, love, these three. But the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. Father, these are beautiful words. And I ask that they would now ring true in our hearts. As you'd give us your spirit, that you would make us a tender and warm-hearted and loving people. So will you do that by showing us the love of Jesus in this sermon? I ask all this in his name, and amen. amen. You may be seated. Twenty-five years. 25 years. That's how much time passed between God's promise to Abraham and the birth of Isaac, the son of promise. 25 years is a long time to wait. Have you ever had to wait for something a lot longer than you wanted to? Is there something you are waiting for right now? Maybe you are Waiting for winter to end. I heard in the prayers a lot of people want the snow to go away. I know I do. Maybe you're waiting for school to finish, a promotion at work, retirement, a wedding, a birth, a vacation, the summer. What is testing your patience these days? 
400 years. 400 years. That's how long the people of Israel were afflicted and enslaved before God brought them up out of Egypt. 400 years is a long time to wait. Have you ever had to wait for something a lot longer than you wanted to? What are you waiting for right now? You see, the thing about love is that love is patient and love is kind and love is suffering for a really long time. And this morning, as we come to verse 4 in the love chapter, here we begin to find out that love is something very different from what pop culture tells us that love is. The first thing we see is that love is not your feelings. Love is not your feelings. Do you know that love is not your feelings? Love is not just flowers, chocolate, and heart-shaped balloons. Love is not just the feeling that makes you swoon. Love is not just being with that special someone. No, love is so much more. Paul tells us that love is patient, and love is kind, and love is suffering for a really long time. So let me set the context of this chapter again for us Um, This is part two in our sermon series through the love chapter. And if you were here for part one, you'll remember that Paul wrote this to the Corinthians because they did not know the first thing about love. The Corinthians were a proud church. And where there's pride, every other sin is, every kind of debauchery. The Corinthians had created petty factions over stupid things like, who's the best preacher? Some thought it was Paul, some said Cephas, some said Apollo, some said Jesus. They were bragging about how smart they were. They were showing off their wealth. Some of them were getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. It was kind of like a bring-your-own-bottle-of-wine kind of communion set up for them. They were taking the gifts that God had given them for the building up of the body and were using them to get a one-up on each other. They were using the good things God had given them and had corrupted and distorted them and were destroying one another with them. They thought that love was tolerating incest in the church. All kinds of sexual sin going on. And they thought, oh, love love must be not doing church discipline. Love must be just, you know, letting it ride. And Paul says, this is not good. A little leaven leavens the whole loaf. They thought they were woke, sophisticated, intellectual. The Corinthians thought they were something real special. They thought they were God's gift to mankind. And so the first three verses of the love chapter were Paul impressing upon this church that if they don't have love, they don't got nothing. It doesn't matter how gifted you are. It doesn't matter if you can do miracles and speak in the tongues of men and of angels. He said you could be the most brilliant philologist. You could know what a philologist is. You could be the greatest preacher, pastor, theologian. You could be doing works of ministry, you know, building orphanages, clothing, clothing uh, the orphan, taking care of the widow. You could do all that and be using that as a cover for your loveless heart. And so Paul warns them that if you don't have love, you proud Corinthians, you're nothing. You're chaff for the fire, ready to be burned up. And so Paul wants them to know that love is something very different. And if you're nothing without love, then, well, it would behoove us to know what then is it? Because we throw this word around all the time, right? Love is not double tapping something on Instagram, right? It's not heart emojis. So this morning, we, we want to define love according to Paul. 
How does God define love? Because isn't that the only standard that matters, right? You hurt people's feelings and they say, you don't love me, right? This is a kid, right? When mommy and daddy are, are spent, does that feel like love in the moment? It doesn't feel like love, but, but it is. Because love is objectively defined by the God who says he is love. Only our God is love. And so I want to know, how does God define this? And the first thing that Paul says about love is that love is patient and love is kind. Love is suffering for a really long time. And that's the whole sermon in one sentence. Okay? I even made it rhyme so you will not forget it. Can we say this together? Love is patient. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is kind. Love is suffering for a really long time. See, we can do, we can do this. So uh, I want to do kind of th three things in this sermon. Number one, I want to define what is patience, what is kindness. Let's, let's start there with definitions. Number two, I want to take that abstract definition and bring it down into real life and say, okay, what does patience and kindness look like on the ground? And then lastly, I want to ask the question, how is this possible in a world of sin? So, number one, defining patience and kindness. What is patience? Let's start there. I looked up one definition that I thought was very good and I think matches the biblical definition of it. It is this, patience. The capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. I'll say that again. The capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. See, patience is like this reservoir of contentment. And this is how we know that love is not your feelings, right? Because patience, by definition, is waiting when you don't feel like waiting, right? It's like patience is what happens when you don't want to be patient. Think about it this way. Love often starts where your feelings end. None of us like delay, trouble, or suffering. But love is that capacity to accept and tolerate it without getting upset. It is when you have no natural affection it's when the kids are ugly and the sins are not cute that you find out if you really love them. Because love is patient when you don't want to be. The King James and the New King James actually translates this word not as patient, but more literally as love suffereth long. Or love is long-suffering. This is what patience is patience sounds like a you know just like waiting around but it's it's not short suffering it's not suffers short it's it's long suffering people this is what patience is it's suffering for a really long time and if you think about it there isn't really anything flashy about patience there's you know we don't give out awards for you know you're the most patient we might give out awards for people doing miracles, you know, people doing really spiritual things, but patience is one of those quiet, humble, meek things that often goes unnoticed. And yet this is what Paul says is better than everything else. 1 Corinthians 12, which talks about all the spiritual gifts, it ends with, and I'll show you a more excellent way. I'll show you something better than being able to speak every language. I'll show you something better than laying your hands on people and then being healed. And Paul says, you want to be impressive? Be patient. Be kind. Love is something more excellent than all the really impressive gifts. That's the best gift. We all know what it's like to wait, whether that's in line at Winko or at the security checkpoint at the airport. We don't like to wait. But love is patient. 
It is the capacity to accept or tolerate delay, trouble, or suffering without getting angry or upset. So how you doing? You guys patient? You're, doing, you're hitting this out of the park, right? You're waiting patiently, right? What about kindness? What's kindness? Kindness is the quality of being friendly, generous, and considerate. It is to be warm-hearted and affectionate. It is to be tender. Listen to how Paul says this in Colossians 3.12. He says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. We don't use bowels of mercies. It sounds like, what's that? The ESV says, compassionate hearts. But it's this thing that's deep inside of you. It's, it's the warmth you feel in the very depths of your soul. When that is warm, when that's kindled hot, that is, that's what kindness is. It's tenderness. And this is paired with patience. Paul says love is patient and kind, connected. Because when you're waiting, it's really easy to become irritable and frustrated and upset. And so Paul says not only is love waiting and long-suffering, but it is tender and warm-hearted while it waits. It is affectionate and generous despite not getting what it wants when it wants. So you know when you're like hangry, it's like, man, can we eat already? No, love, love is patient and love is kind. It is generous. It has this reservoir of contentment there. When someone cuts us off in traffic or talks bad about us behind our back, it's really easy to become impatient and unkind. It's easy to you know, flip the bird, hate them in your heart. It's the most natural thing in the world to get angry and upset when people sin against us. And so we see here that love is totally contrary to our sinful flesh. It is often the exact opposite of what we feel in the moment. Because love is, it's not natural. Does any of this sound natural? Waiting patiently, being kind while you wait. No, that's something otherworldly. That is supernatural. Someone said, love is the life of heaven walking on earth. It's what God is like in this very impatient and unkind and sinful world. It's a miracle that anyone loves anybody, right? This is what separates the Christian religion from everything else. We're the only people who have a God who is himself love. Islam don't have that. Buddhism doesn't have that. Secularism doesn't have that. And you see, you see the comments, you see the world, you see what they're producing. They are a loveless people. So Christians, do we look different than them? Are we patient and are we kind? Or do we live just like the world who, who does not know God? Love is tender and warm-hearted. Love stands in line at the DMV with a joyful heart and a smile on the face. And if you've ever had to do that before, you know that's a miracle of grace. You go pull your number, you sit there, and you don't know how long it's going to be. Love is like having a bunch of spare bedrooms in your house. And you don't get mad or irritated when the people stay a lot longer than they should. Weeks and weeks and weeks. That's what being patient and kind is. So do you know what love is? Love is patient and love is kind. Love is suffering for a really long time. Now doesn't that sound, wouldn't that be a world you like to live in where everyone's like that? What does this look like though in, in, in real life? Jesus says the greatest commandment is to what? <laughs> love God. Love your neighbor, right? Love God with all you have 
and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, now let's try to apply this. If love is patient, what does it look like to love God with your patience? Does that sound kind of weird, to be patient with God? Well, let me give you a few examples of this. So I started with Abraham as an example. So Abraham was someone who loved God, and he was also very patient. He waited for 25 years. I mean, really, him and Sarah waited you know, 100 years, or I don't know, however, when they wanted to have kids, but they waited a long time. Psalm 27, this beautiful psalm, ends with this. It says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Think about Timothy, Paul's protege. Paul told Timothy, endure suffering. Suffer long as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. So all of us as Christians are called to be patient in the midst of persecution. I think Austin read in uh, James, right? Blessed is the man who is patient and endures trials, temptations. So this is one of the ways you love God, is by being patient. Think about what the first sin was. It was actually this I mean, it's a sin of pride, a sin of unbelief, but it was this sin of impatience, of wanting to grasp for something before God had said, okay, you can have that now. It's a grasping for something before the time is ripe. And this is what we are tempted to do all the time, right? We want it and we want it now. We want it our way. And it's hard to trust God. Right? This, is, this is what our first parents did. They tried to force things. They were impatient with God's plan. And so love for God, patience towards God is saying, okay, here's my plans. Here's when and how I'd like this thing to go. But nonetheless, whatever you say, God, I'm willing to do it your way. Love trusts God's timing over our timing Love is patient. And this is how you love God, by waiting on him, by trusting his timing. What does this look like then towards our neighbors, towards the people you're sitting next to, towards the people you work with? Let me give you a bunch of examples. This will be kind of a longer section. I'm going to start with the youngins, you children, and work my way up through the ages. So children, listen up. I know you're coloring right now. Stop coloring and listen to me. One of the ways you love God is by cheerfully obeying your parents, right? You know this. And all the parents said, amen. So when they say, come here or put your shoes on or go brush your teeth, you don't get to drag your feet. You don't get to whine, right? You cheer with a smile on your face. You say, yes, mom. Yes, dad. And you go do it, right? That's one of the ways you love God. That's one of the ways you love your parents. Or if you have brothers and sisters and they have a toy that you really want to play with, you don't just go up and snatch it out of their hand, right? You say, may, may I play with that? And if they say no, you don't throw a fit. You just, you have, I'm sure you have other toys you can play with. You can go find something else to play with. Because love is patient and love is kind. This is how you love God. Junior high, high schoolers. Maybe I took a little jump in the the (laughs) tweet. One of the ways you love God is by trusting your parents to know when you are allowed to have a smartphone. Or if you are ever allowed to have a smartphone. I think Luke Jankovic said, when my children are 18, they might get a calculator. (laughs) There's sage wisdom there. So you, you, you don't get to manipulate and negotiate with them. You trust them. Uh, if they say, hey, I don't want you to hang out with so-and-so because they're a bad influence on you. You listen to them, okay? And here's the thing. This is really hard because your parents are sinners. They are not going to do this right all the time. But one of the ways you demonstrate patience towards God and your parents is by trusting that God can change their hearts anytime, but that's who God has put in authority over you. And so you listen to them, even if you disagree, and you cheerfully obey them. 
okay? College students, you love God when you patiently endure everyone and their mom asking you, so what are you going to do after college? Right? I, I know that so many of you have no idea what you're going to do after school. What are you going to do with a liberal arts degree? Right? I don't know. They say you can do anything, and that's part of the problem, right? What are you going to do? Well, you, you patiently endure that. And here's the thing. You have to do what God's given you a task, and you need to do it with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. You shouldn't just be constantly thinking about the end and neglect what's in front of you right now. You think, wouldn't it be nice if God just wrote in the clouds one day, you know, what job to take, who to marry, where to live. But where's the fun in that? Right? Where's the faith in that? So you have this opportunity, especially in your youth, to build something that the Bible calls character, endurance. L listen to Romans 5. This is, this is a verse for college students to memorize, really for everyone to memorize. It says this, we rejoice, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. We rejoice in week eight finals. We rejoice in sleepless nights. We rejoice in having to work and try to make things fit. Paul says, knowing that that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. Hope that does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so this is how much God loves you. Proverbs says it's good for the young man to bear the burden in his youth. And so that's what you're doing right now. God is building character, and the end of that is hope, rejoicing, gladness. Because if you can rejoice in the hard things, then man, when things are going great, you should be like double rejoicing, right? So this is one of the ways you love God. Husbands and wives. One of the ways you love God is by being patient with one another. Are you slow to get angry or are you quick to pick a fight? Do you have a long fuse or is your anger on a hair trigger? Are you easily irritated by that thing that your spouse does or do you use grace and love to cover their sins and quirks and weirdness? How big is the reservoir of grace in your marriage? And if it's getting dry, do you know where to go fill it back up? Are you filled with the love of God so that you can love and honor your spouse? Do you go to God and his word, to prayer and devotion? Do you drink deeply from the wells of salvation and bathe in the ocean of God's love? Are you keeping the reservoir full? You know what it's like to be empty, drained dry. But do you not know that our God is a God of infinite love? And are you plugged into him? Are you filled up? Are you keeping that reservoir full? That's the only hope for your marriage. You love God when you are warm and tender with one another instead of being cold and distant. So you know about sins of omission and commission, right? So commission, you commit something. You, you know, I punch you in the face. I committed a sin. Now, a sin of omission is not doing what God tells you to do. And I think a lot of people think that you can just be kind of like neutral towards others, and that's love. But that's not what love is. See, love is kind. Love actually has a warm heart. And so some of you are committing this sin of omission every day by withholding warmth and love from your children, from your spouse, from other people. And so if that's you, you, you need to repent. You need to turn from your loveless ways. Figure out what it's going to take for there to be warmth in your heart, to throw wood on the fire, to turn up the thermostat, 
to spark the flame of tender love towards your wife or husband. This is what you are commanded to do. And by the way, did you know that love is not your feelings? It is not. And yet you are commanded to be warm-hearted towards others. Parents, when I think about patience and long-suffering, I think of you. (laughs) I see you going in and out to nurse and discipline. I see the exhausted looks, the disheveled hair. I see the snot on the sleeve, and it is glorious. (laughs) They are the stains of glory right here. (laughs) It's beautiful. And so don't lose heart, right? That's love. This is love. Your your children, they don't don't experience that as love right now, but but it is. And it is a great testimony I think if anybody embodies patience, it's a pregnant mother, right? She she has to make room in her body for another body. It's like nine months. It's a really long time. I'm so glad I'm not a woman. I just think, oh, God, you spared me. The nausea, the morning sickness. And, And then it culminates with this most uncomfortable birth. And, and that's just to get the thing out, right? Then, then there's the, the nursing and scars. It's, it's, it's bloody, right? That's patience. That's love. It's amazing. Now think about motherhood doesn't stop once the kid's out. It doesn't stop once they're 18, right? You're a mother until you die, And what is motherhood but suffering for a really long time for your children? I was thinking about my mom. She did all of that for me and more. And yet when I talk to her, there is no, like, bitterness or resentment or frustration about it. She says, those are some of the best years of my life. And I think, you're crazy, woman. You're crazy. It's the craziest thing to me. And this is, this is biblical. Jesus says this in John 16, 22. Listen to this. He says, When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a child has been born into the world. You see, when there's joy on the other end of patience and pain, you don't even really remember it anymore. It says in Ecclesiastes 5, God will keep me occupied with joy in my heart so that I do not remember the former things. Isn't that an amazing thought? That joy could outweigh the pain of of childbirth. My mom, uh, I called her as I was preparing this sermon just to confirm some of these things I was thinking about because, you know, I haven't experienced any of this. And one of the things she told me that uh, I thought was really powerful, she said, I remember when we were in taxi mode. Some of you parents know this. You're driving the kids to Logos, to music lessons, to sports, and you got all, it's like this matrix grid of how we're going to get everyone there. Taxi mode. And she says, I remember thinking that taxi mode would never end. (laughs) Will it ever end, all the driving? And she said, you know what? Now that all you kids are grown up and gone away, I'm sad that there's no one to drive around anymore. So parents, enjoy being in taxi mode. (laughs) Enjoy it. She says, my one regret, regret is that she didn't enjoy it more. And so rejoice, parents. Your love is patient and your love is kind. And it is the most amazing testament of God's love. What about fathers, right? So we we don't give birth, but we do other things. And I think perhaps the most powerful testimony of love from a father is him faithfully getting up, going to work, doing the hard thing, bearing the responsibility of leading the home spiritually, putting food on the table, a roof over the head, of disciplining kids, of backing up mom when discipline needs to happen. I think about my own father, woke up at, you know, 3.30 in the morning for 30 years, drove a bread truck, and never complained. 
And that didn't feel like love to me at the time. Dad goes to work. But as I get older, I think that is the greatest testament of love that someone would get up that, at an ungodly hour for me and still have time to, you know, throw the baseball with me, play with my sisters. So fathers, your kids aren't going to appreciate all of this right now, but one day they will. And that's what love is. It's patiently suffering, doing the same thing day in and day out faithfully. And God is pleased with that. He blesses that. For those of you who are advanced in years and the crown of gray is upon your head, you love God as you patiently endure the suffering of friends beginning to pass away of grandchildren dying in miscarriage, of cancer, of your own dear wife or husband's life being cut short. As God starts to take down the lights in your sky and you joyfully say, I can't wait to see Jesus face to face. See, some of you are at that age now where there's not much to wait for, right? Maybe retirement, you're past that. It's waiting for this body, you want a new one, right? The body groans, and you're groaning for resurrection. And so love is patient and waits. And won't that be worth it when you see him face to face, and he wipes every tear away, and there's no more pain, and there's no more patience, there's no more long-suffering, and death will be gain. What if you had the long view? What if you knew how long eternity really was? Wouldn't that change how you feel about waiting here? Right? When, when we're all in heaven, 10,000 years shining like the sun, don't you want to have some good stories to tell from your time here? Wouldn't the more difficult story and the glories from it be worth it in eternity? Right, truly, what is 60, 70, 80, 90 years of suffering here compared to eternity in glory with one another and with your God? Maybe that would make you a patient person to think about that. And lastly, just as a church, we all must learn to be patient with one another and to be kind. So this means love covering a multitude of sins. It means knowing when to confront someone and when to give them time to repent. Are we quick to jump to conclusions and cast judgment? Or are we forbearing and patient and kind? Are there people you find kind of annoying? Well, you're called to be tender towards them. It says in 1 John 4.20, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And so if you come here and are impatient and unkind, you are hating your brother and you don't actually love God. Remember what Martin Luther said about 1 Corinthians 13 in, in part one? He said that, this chapter is given especially to preachers and teachers and those in authority in the church. And so this is directed first at me. Listen to 2 Timothy 2. Paul says, The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, he, uh, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Right? You know how hard this is, correcting your opponents with gentleness. When people oppose me, my flesh wants to just you know, lop their head off. But God says, no, correct them with gentleness. Right? You want to give them the snarky remark. You want to hit back. But Paul says the Lord's servant is kind and corrects them with gentleness. And you know what? That's, at first, I don't like this verse. Like, this is hard, people. Like, love is really, really hard. Patience is really, really hard. But 
But God says, this is what we must do. So let me close with asking, how is this possible? How is any of this possible? Love is only possible if you know God's love towards you. If you know the patience and kindness God has shown to you. So I started this sermon with two examples. 25 years that Abraham waited and 400 years of Israel in slavery. And in that second example, I want you to think, who was the one who was really being patient for those 400 years? Who was being patient? Israel, sure. But it was also God. God was giving Egypt time to repent. God was giving his people time to repent. When God does finally show up, he gives Pharaoh ten plagues. And after each of them, he says, you still want to keep doing this. Like, you can repent, but Pharaoh hardens his heart. You see how patient God is with the most evil of people. And then in Exodus, after he's brought them out, do you remember how God reveals his covenant name to his people? This is Exodus 34, 6-7, when God declares his own name to his people. He says this, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, patient, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is patient, and God is kind, and God tolerates our sin for a really long time. And so, how patient has God been with you? Think about the people in your life who most get on your nerves. Who is the most annoying person in your life? Who would you like to kind of delete from reality? Maybe you can't stand Donald Trump, okay? Maybe you're triggered by, by him. Or maybe you can't stand Democrats and planned parenthood. Maybe there's some blogger or preacher you don't like, or maybe a close friend who betrayed you and now you don't speak. Whoever it is and whatever they've done is nothing compared to how you have treated God. You have given God every reason imaginable to delete you, and not just delete you, but to condemn you to eternal conscious torment, and that would be justice. Right? That would be righteousness. That would be what you deserve. And though God could squash you like the worm you are, he has been so patient with you. He has been kind to you. Romans 2.4 says, Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? In other words, we walk around like we are entitled to God's love, like God owes us patience and kindness, like God owes us eternal life, or at least he owes everyone a chance to choose him. But God doesn't owe us anything but wrath. And yet in his great love, he has been patient and kind, and not merely from a distance, but up close. When Jesus Christ took on human flesh, love became incarnate. God's patience and kindness towards sinners was lifted up on a Roman cross for all to see. This is what patience and kindness looks like. Arms outstretched, Jesus saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus is what God's love looks like. And so I ask you today, have you seen the love of God? Have you seen him? Have you seen the patience of God in your life? When you were running amok, when you were sinning up a storm, when you were wallowing in your filth, and God passed over you and covered you, cleaned you up, and clothed you, how patient has God been with you when you've been such a rebel as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. So do you know this love? Do you know it? Do you know the warmth 
of the Father's house and the aroma of Christ's love. Do you know how tender he is? In Isaiah, it says of Jesus, he will not break a bruised reed or quench a smoldering wick. You might be bruised, right? You, your flame might be ready to go out, but he will not snuff you out. He is tender and he is kind. So do you know what love is? Do you know who Jesus is? Because Jesus is patient and Jesus is kind. Jesus suffered once and for all to give us eternal life. And so, beloved, if God has loved us this way, how can we not be patient and kind to one another? Let's pray. Father, we confess that we have not loved you as you deserve. We have not loved one another as they deserve. Forgive us. It says in Ephesians that we need strength to even comprehend the height and width and depth and length that is your love. And so I ask that you'd give us that strength this morning. Grant that we would know the love of God, fill up the reservoir of our hearts so that we can have something to give others. Help us, God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the things that makes patience so difficult is not knowing how things will turn out. It's hard to wait when the future feels uncertain. But we are Christians, and God has told us how this story ends. It ends with a new beginning, with a new heavens and a new earth. It ends with new bodies and the removal of all our pain. It ends with consummation, with a wedding and a wedding feast. It ends with all things having worked together for our good. In Revelation 19, we see that history climaxes with the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this meal before us is a foretaste of that feast. So let us eat and drink in faith and joyful expectation of that age that is to come. All baptized believers are welcome to communion. If you are not a Christian, please abstain. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for preparing a table before us in the presence of our enemies, for surrounding us and protecting us by your covenant love. Give us faith to trust you and wait patiently until we enter into our inheritance. We thank you for this meal. In Jesus' name, and amen. The charge is this. If you have been impatient or unkind towards your kids, your spouse, or your roommates, whoever, I want you to go to them this week and say, will you forgive me for not loving you the way God has loved me? Ask forgiveness this week. Make things right and remember how patient and kind God has been with you. Receive now the benediction. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God and of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessings of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be upon and remain with you always. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.